Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. I'm going to open this morning by reading Psalm 18, 19 through 26. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So, good morning. My name is Liz, and um, I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life. And today is Palm Sunday, right? And we enter into this story of Palm Sunday, which is this ancient story um, of God sending Jesus to Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, but sending Jesus to earth out of his great love for us. He becomes the cornerstone of the church that's rejected. He is the gate that leads us to the presence of God. His body is the temple that goes to the cross and is sacrificed for our life. And we enter into that story this week. We call this week Passion Week or Holy Week. And it's one of the darkest weeks of Jesus's life as he goes from Sunday entering into Jerusalem to Friday on the cross. But Sunday is coming. And passion, it means suffering. This week is a week of suffering for Jesus. And so we want to enter into that journey alongside him. And that is what the Reflections on the Cross does. It is this experience, unlike any other, where you can enter and walk that journey with Jesus to the cross alongside him. So Palm Sunday, this day, he triumphantly enters into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews, right? He is the king that came to claim you and I. He is the king that came to establish his kingdom and invite us in. He is the king who is coming again someday. So we're going to start this story in Matthew, Jesus' triumphant entry. It starts in verse 1. I'll have it up on the, the screen as well. Matthew 21, and I'm reading from the NLT version. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming, 
to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The crowd is in an uproar. Everyone is shouting. They're taking off their jackets. They're throwing them on the ground. They're chopping down branches off of the trees. And they're waving them in fanfare for Jesus riding into Jerusalem. There's great anticipation in the air, in their spirits of, of victory, of triumph. This is the moment they've been waiting for. There's this old story of uh, Sir Walter Riley, who's one of the great explorers and travelers um, that came with Queen Elizabeth I of England. And as he was with her on this particular occasion, they were walking the streets of London and they came across some kind of muddy, wet section that there was nowhere else to go. There was no way around it. They just had to go through it. And um, so this man, he, uh, he takes off his cloak really quick. He lays it down for the queen and then she is able to walk over without getting her feet wet or muddy. Now that's not a regular gesture that we participate in, right? It's not something like we culturally do that much, right? If I, it's like, okay, if I pull into a parking spot at this grocery store and I pull in and I just happen to see like, oh, they're on the other side of my van where my kids get out is actually a big rain puddle, you know, that I had missed. You know, the best case scenario is that I hope to intercept them before they hop out right into the puddle, right? And, and say, okay, try jumping over the puddle, right? But I'm surely not going to sacrifice my jacket uh, to lay down on the ground for their precious little feet to walk on and, and skip over the puddle. If they happen to get their shoes wet, you know, I'm flexible. We'll, we'll make it home at some point. You can change your shoes. No big deal. They jump in the puddles at home anyways. So. But this gesture that Sir Walter, Walter Riley did was a very special thing. He lays down his cloak because he is honoring the person. He's highly exalting the queen right? He's giving her as much value as he can give. If she had any other need, he would probably do whatever it took to meet that need. Now, most of the crowd that was here with Jesus in this moment as, as he's coming into Jerusalem probably didn't have a second cloak, right? They're taking off the only cloak that they own to throw on the ground for Jesus. <clears throat> They sacrificed whatever they had to show the importance of his arrival. 
Now, the Jewish people were probably familiar with this, this moment from 2 Kings 9.13, where one of Israel's kings was anointed by God. Kind of like King David that we, we talked about, I talked about a few weeks ago, where, where God sent a, the priest to anoint him ahead of time before he became king. So God, God chooses this king in 2 Kings, and it's in defiance of the actual king of the time, right? God is choosing a different king. And the people that were close around him, as a sign of their loyalty, they take off their cloaks and throw it at his feet. And they cut palm branches and wave at this king as he is the new anointed king. These were cultural signs for them, all right? They're not cultural signs for us, right? We're, we can be confused by them, but the, the, the spreading of the cloaks, the waving of the palm branches, they're declarations of Jesus being a king. That's what they are. They're cultural declarations of Jesus being a king. And then they're also shouting. They're shouting this phrase, praise God for the son of David. Now, this was about as explicit as you could get calling Jesus their king. So <clears throat> Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, right? And this city is under Roman uh, rule. And so the current emperor of that region is Herod. And for a crowd to make a statement that Jesus is their king is committing treason, right? But, you know, this phrase, praise God for the son of David, it has some history to it. So Jerusalem is the, the capital city that David made when he became king. He made Jerusalem the capital city. David, the writer of the Psalms. And David, since David, they were waiting for another king like David. They were praying and crying out to God to save them for their oppression. Is there another king like David that can come and save us? And so for them to call Jesus the son of David, he's, he is the king that they've been waiting for in their lineage to come and save them, to answer these long-awaited prayers of suffering and oppression. But, but praising Jesus and aligning with him ends up being two different things as we see this week unfold. So our first um, kind of takeaway from Palm Sunday is that Jesus is a king unlike any other. Now, there's been lots of kings in history up until this point. So they had expectations of what the role of a king was supposed to be. And many people were hoping for the promise of being saved from oppressive rule. And they were on board with that. They were on board with God is answering our prayers he has brought this Savior to the world, and so they're filled with praise for him. But again, as we see this week unfold, we see their praise turns to rejection. 
They're actually not aligned with his plan. They're not aligned with his purpose. They're not aligned with his death. And you and I, we can be similar as we journey with Jesus. You know, we want him to solve absolutely every problem we have, exactly how we want it to be solved, right? We want him to bless us in every way so that we don't have to experience suffering and trials. We want him to take our mundane life and make it spectacular so that we can get the glory. And in in one sense, Yes, he transforms every part of our life. He does that. He takes us from ashes to beauty, from darkness to light and full color. He transforms our life, but the kind of work that he does is a very slow heart work. And he often says, actually, I want you to be a part of this work. I want your will involved. I want your choices involved. Let's do this together. He wants us to participate in the transformation. And we can want to make Jesus into our own image of just doing what we want. And that's what the Jews struggled with as well in this moment. They had expectations. They wanted to be freed from evil and oppression. Who wouldn't want that? Of course we can see ourselves in that similar desire and situation. And what he does is he does answer that prayer, but he goes deeper. He goes to the root of evil. They're saying, hey, this surface level oppression, the Romans, take it away. Save it. Save us. Become our... um, political savior that takes away the enemy. And he says, I'm going even deeper to the root and cause of evil itself. I'm putting that to death. Evil and Satan are going to be vanquished with my power. So he, he renews our life in ways that we don't always expect. We don't even ask for because we, we live here on these surface level needs and wants. And culture and the world promote like quick fixes to those things. Here's how you can live your best life now. But Jesus' Jesus's way is through humility. He's riding a donkey in this processional. A victorious king should be riding a a warrior horse. And he's showing us the way of humility. Following Jesus is, is often through suffering, through service, through sacrifice, through giving, through blessing and love, compassion, healing. See, he's developing a spiritual kingdom that's written on the hearts and lives of people. His kingdom is joining people together from every corner of the world to break bread together, to be in community together, to experience God's presence together. And the the crowd is pregnant with expectation that he is going to be this victorious warrior king. And Jesus comes and he 
He asserts his authority and power in a totally different way. He chooses the cross. Our second um, takeaway is that Jesus is a king who's for all. So as we continue this story, today is Palm Sunday. The next day, Monday, this story continues. And the next verse 12, this is what happens. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and even heard the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Jesus' kingdom is for everyone. Now, the religious system is being played out here in this temple scene, right? And the religious leaders are in charge. They get to exploit the poor, and they are polluting God's presence with sin and greed and their own power. So if you were a Jew, you were also traveling to Jerusalem at this time because it was a time of Passover that happens on Thursday. And as a Jew, you would travel to Jerusalem for other holy days because that's where the temple is. The temple is this meeting place of heaven and earth. This is where God's presence is. And so as a Jew, you would travel days upon days to come to the temple. And in the law, you brought your sacrifice and your offering. You would bring money and an, an animal, two turtle doves if you were poor. That's why um, it talks about those selling doves. So you're bringing your money Maybe you brought animals, or maybe you decided, I'm just going to buy my animal when I get there because my animal's not going to make it on this long journey, right? And so you get there, you get to the temple, and here's the religious leaders, and they're saying, oh, you know, you have a shekel, which is the Jewish coin. We actually have Roman coin here, so we're going to have to do it a little exchange here if you're going to give your money to the temple. And so, oh, okay, I'll give you my shekel. Oh, that's going to be... You know, the exchange rate, jacking it up, taking the shekel, pocketing that extra money, and here, you can have your money to uh, give to the temple, right? So they have an exchange here, and guess what they're doing? Exploiting by raising the rate of what that exchange is because they're the ones in control, right? So now this offering that is supposed to be a pure offering to the Lord gets polluted by their own greed, Oh, you have, you need some turtle doves? Here we go. We have this great price for you over here. Here's two turtle doves for you at a, you know, great price. Just, just kidding. It's, it's an inflated price, right? We've all been feeling the inflation right now in society. 
That's what they're doing, inflating the price of the poorest animal sacrifice you can buy to turtle doves, right? Oh, you brought your own animal. It's supposed to be pure without defect. You know what? The priest, he'll look it over. Oh, he found a little defect there. Guess what? We have a pure one here in the back, only for this nice price, you know? They're there setting up a system of who's in and who's out and how much they can make off of these people. And Jesus is furious. Jesus says God's house is a house of prayer and presence, and you have made it a house of greed and robbery. Jesus is a king who reigns over everything. He, he, he's saying the right use of God's house is for prayer, for worship, for healing. Let me show you. Let me open these doors wide open and get rid of this whole religious system because I am making all things new. I'm not a king that's here for profit, for commerce, for making the most of himself. He was actually there at creation, making it come into existence. He is a king that is over all things, and his heart is to bring us into alignment with God's kingdom, and he's challenging the religious leaders and the religious system and what they've made it into. And he is saying, all people are welcome. He's, in, he's welcoming the people that are unclean, that shouldn't be in the temple. He's making room for them. As soon as he upends this system that's going on in the temple, verse 14 says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He's demonstrating his authority over sickness and death. He's making room for all People, Jesus makes room. He makes, he extends the table as wide as it can be for anybody to come. I, uh, my family just got some new patio furniture. We were the kind recipients of some new patio furniture. And we have this huge table now in the back of our yard. And this morning we wake up and my girl, it's like 47 degrees out this morning, right? Guess where my girls wanted to eat breakfast? Outside at our new table. I put on their jacket, took their bowl of oatmeal, sat down at the new table. They're like, can we stay out here? Can we color out here? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, go, have at it, you know? They bring their coloring books out, their little buckets of markers and colored pencils. It's like, great, you know? You, you just make room. And my kids come, right? Jesus just, he, he makes room in the temple and who comes to receive it? The blind, the lame, the people that need it. He makes room and people come. They don't wait. They're not like, ah, oh, are, are you sure? Is, is the religious system really, is it, it, you know, is it really okay? They just come. They come to Jesus and he heals them. He makes room. Lastly, Jesus is a king who's worthy of praise. The chief priests, man, they are ticked at this point. 
They are so upset. He, Jesus has just upended everything that they've built for themselves, right? I mean, this is their, this is their job, their calling, their identity, their livelihood. This is everything for them that they've built off of the law, rightfully, but in an ex, ex, you know, they're exploiting people. They're doing it to an extent that their heart is hardened. And Jesus just comes and wipes, wipes it all out. He just upends everything that they have built. And to top it all off, children are declaring that Jesus is the king. Verse 15, we said that the leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. Sweet, beautiful children are declaring him as king. And the religious leaders are like, how ridiculous are those kids? Don't you know Jesus is the opposite of a king? He's got this victorious king thing all wrong. He's got the Jewish law all wrong. He's got everything wrong. In fact, he's wrong. And so Jesus responds to their indignation by quoting a psalm. He said, well, have you read your, your scriptures? Well, of course they have. They're, they're the religious leaders, right? But he quotes a psalm to them, and it comes from Psalm 8, 1 through 2. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. This psalm is, is really a psalm of praise for Yahweh, the Savior. And even children are being instructed by God in their heart to declare who Jesus is. And Jesus receives their praise. He honors the declaration of the children that he is God and king. So some calls to action as we close. How are you declaring Jesus as king in your life? What are you allowing him to disrupt? To heal, to change. We all have expectations of what we want him to do, what we want him to be like. But where are you letting him be king in his way? When we invite him into our lives, when we invite him into our relationships, when we invite him into our priorities, our marriage, our personalities, he lovingly shows us the way, his way. Because we can often fall into this trap of wanting to make Jesus just into what we want him to do in our own image. Then we're worshiping a false Jesus. How are you letting him be the king of your heart without limitations? I think, and I know this because I am like this, that we become super proficient at running our own lives. You know, 
I mean, that's what America is built on. We're like hyper-individualism, right? We can do it all. And so we become super proficient at doing everything for ourselves. And the expectation is that we, we do that, right? And so we forget to invite him as king into little, little things and big things. Little decisions, big decisions. Little thoughts, big thoughts. There's so much more that he desires to do in our life if we would just let him have the room. So that's the second thing. Make room for him this week. Where can you make room for him this week? In your spare time, in your thoughts, in um, your, your financial decisions. Make room for him this week. Make more room for him. And attend Reflections on the Cross. That's one way to make room and prepare your heart for this story this week. So let's pray as we enter into worship this morning. God, we, we make room for you this morning. We make room for you in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray that your spirit would just envelop this place as we worship you this morning, and we declare you as king. Thank you for being the king of this world, of our lives, of our hearts. And we just enter into worship now. We love you, God. Thank you in your name, Jesus. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, Go to lifemohammed.org, lifemohammed.org.